Welcome to the 13th episode of the Woke Antidote TV. We're cruising here. Yeah, lucky number 13. Uh, hopefully that's some uh, good luck for us today. But I mean, SB and I were literally just looking through the topic list and I'm actually really fired up for this one. Uh, so much great content and news to cover. So um, yeah, hopefully you all enjoy this one. Yeah. And so the, the topic we're going to start about, it, it's one that I, I was awoken to from our, the group chat we're in. Um, early in the morning, I think it was Thursday, when the news came out that Elon has put an offer in to buy Twitter. So we covered this on episode 12. And to, to give ourselves some credit, we both did predict that this was not the last that we would hear of Elon and that he would go more aggressively into actually trying to take control of Twitter. So where we had left off last episode was that he was likely to join the board and what transpired after that is he actually denied the offer to join the board because he didn't want to be limited to a 15% stake. And now he's gone out and tried to buy the company. And so I wanted to give a little bit of investment knowledge, insight into this, and then we'll, we'll start riffing on this. So uh, first, I think it's interesting that Twitter stock is $45 right now, TB, but the offer is for 54 so that means that the Wall Street in general, they don't actually believe this is going to happen. And what, what I found in, in my work is that a lot of the time when a deal comes out for a company, oftentimes you will see the stock price even be higher than the offer price because there's an expectation of a bidding war and more companies are going to come in and try to bid for it. So the fact that it's not even at 54, but it's at 45, I think tells you a lot of how seriously people are taking this. And, you know, as we'll get to, they, they probably should be taking it more seriously. Um, the second point is that the 38% premium that Elon has tried to buy Twitter for, that is huge. It, in my space, I'm typically seeing companies when they accept M&A terms, it's probably 20 or 25% is what you typically see when a deal happens. So 38%, I, I'm hard pressed to going back and thinking of any deals that I've seen where there was a 38% premium involved and the company didn't accept the deal. So if the board doesn't accept this, they're going to have to spend a lot of time convincing investors why it was right. And then the third point is that Goldman Sachs, they come out, they have a $30 price target on Twitter. And yet Goldman is going to be the one advising Twitter on trying to go back to Musk and say, nope, we actually think Twitter is worth more. So this is just another example of some of the ridiculousness we see in this current fiat world, this monetary system, where the investment banks are making money on both sides. On one hand, they don't think Twitter is worth that much. On the other hand, they're the first uh, company called when Twitter wants to defend itself and not be bought by Elon. So I just wanted to lay that out there. We've got a ton more to say in this. So TB, why don't you uh, lead us off here? Yeah. Um, so we, we, like you said, we did have a feeling that there was more to Elon Musk's interest in Twitter. It first started with him uh, tweeting about it and saying, you know, uh, he sent out a poll saying that does just uh, knowing that Twitter is a public channel and a uh, effectively a virtual uh, public square. Does Twitter um, something effective like does Twitter uh, appropriately uh, you know, in focus on free speech and, you know, focusing on upholding it. And it was predominantly no. A uh, majority of the Twitter polls said no. 
So it started with that. Then it came out that he bought a substantial stake in it, uh, a little over 9%. Uh, and then, yeah, SB, as you said, you and I kept going back and forth saying, you know, I don't think he's stopping there because he wouldn't purposely decline a board seat if he knew it would limit his power because then that would make that type of purchase just worthless. Uh, and, you know, it would be, it'd be for naught. So this was a very strategic move by him. He's, he's really showing his colors now. But who's showing their colors even more is the, the woke group at, uh, at Twitter. They are now freaking out. Some, I've seen some tweets by journalists declaring that this is effectively World War III, that this would ruin the world if Elon Musk is able to take this over. We're seeing other funds banding together. Um, so we have, I believe, Vanguard is now making a, a play to acquire more shares in Elon Musk to try to, try to uh, counter him. Uh, Twitter, the Twitter board itself is uh, considering doing a poison pill type of deal to dilute the shares to, you know, basically it would hurt them as well, but they are just going to such an extreme to make sure Elon Musk doesn't successfully purchase this. And you have to ask yourself, SB, as you said, this is a pretty attractive offer. I know that they were in the 70s last year, but as of right now, he's paying a 30% premium. This is way better than any other offer that they can get or, or likely will get. And uh, it, they would be doing their shareholders a disservice by turning that down because at the end of the day, the, the board is beholden to them. They need to answer to, to their shareholders and make sure that they are in their best financial interest, giving them the best return possible. And here's a great deal for them. And they're saying no. Um, and this just really shows you what lengths Twitter and people with woke ideologies are willing to go to censor free speech. That's, that's truly all it is. Elon Musk is not a conservative. Elon Musk is not a Republican. He does not like Donald Trump. What he is, though, is a free speech absolutist, which that is absolutely something that we need in this, in this country. We need people to be able to speak their mind. We talk about this all the time on the podcast. And it's not like we're saying, oh, we only want conservative speech. We said we want it all. We want even speech that we disagree with. And that's all Elon Musk wants to do. And that's seen as such a threat. So for people paying attention, this Twitter's response to this is exactly validating all of our fears and accusations about Twitter being an echo chamber, about Twitter unfairly applying its principles to conservatives and not applying that to liberals when they violate the same rules. We talked about the story with Hunter Biden, where they literally suspended the New York Post from sharing a true story that the New York Times admitted was true. So we see time and time again, Twitter doing all of this. And right now they're showing that free speech is a major threat to them. And no one, no one should feel good about that. You should not feel good about an oligarchy or these, you know, uh, these people who are effectively declared royalty and determining what speech is allowed and what's not. These, these people aren't anyone that are more knowledgeable or educated on speech than you or I are. Uh, these are people who study to be engineers. They work in Silicon Valley. What makes them so uniquely, you know, uh, certified or qualified to make these decisions? So, yeah, I, I love what Elon Musk is doing. I really hope he, he, he is successful at this because, sadly, in the state of the world today, we are reliant on a billionaire to protect free speech. I wish it wasn't the case. I wish that our government and society could collectively uphold free speech. But this is where we're at today. And now we have someone who loves free speech so much and is willing to make, you know, step outside his comfort zone and get involved in a brand new industry to him and, and really try to, you know, protect 
protect that speech. So um, I, I, I really love it. I think Elon Musk will one day go down as, you know, kind of this uh, a major icon uh, in, in the 21st century, uh, someone who really revolutionized uh, America, revolutionized the world in all of his uh, different industries and sectors that he's getting involved with. But this is just, you know, protecting free speech. That's another, uh, you know, crowning achievement that he can, that people can uh, celebrate him for. So uh, I love it. Uh, I, I wish nothing but the best for Elon during this pursuit. Yeah, I could not agree more. And I think in some sense, he's already won. Um, he's he's at least done a, a decent sized win, even if nothing more happens. And I think a lot more could happen because he's exposed Twitter for not being for free speech, which you detailed beautifully. He's also exposed the media not being for free speech. And we, we pretty much knew this. We talk about this in the pod a lot, but they came out hot hating on Elon. So you've got Washington Post owned by Jeff Bezos. You've got Bloomberg, my, my favorite whipping boy, um, owned by Mike Bloomberg. These guys are worth tens of billions of dollars. And apparently it's okay for billionaires to be owning the Washington Post and Bloomberg. Bloomberg comes from Michael Bloomberg. But it's not okay for Elon not to not to own Twitter. He simply wants to... Well, he, he wants to own it because he's pro-free speech. There's not an editorial slant coming from Elon, which does come through with his other newspapers. And TB, so I work in finance, and I, I have CNBC on in the background sometimes. I made sure I had it on during uh, Thursday when all this was being discussed. And guest after guest after guest came on CNBC and they didn't actually understand why Elon wanted to buy Twitter, because in their minds, Twitter actually isn't anti-free speech. So these are finance professionals, a lot of them in the New York, L.A. area. They've made it really well in the, in the, in the world. They're the top 1%. And to them, being you know loyal Democrats, they actually either don't think Twitter is anti-free speech or they support them being anti-free speech. And a great example of this was Mark Cuban. So he comes out, he had a bunch of tweets on this, but one of his tweets was saying that he thought Twitter's going to do everything possible not to sell the company. They'll try to get Friendly to come in and buy Elon shares and get him out. The problem with this kind of thinking is that Elon is not in this for the money. The guy is worth almost $300 billion. He's the richest guy in the world. Do we think a, a billion or two billion more dollars means a lot to this guy? Absolutely not. What Elon's about is making sure Twitter stays or not stays, but goes back to what it used to be, which is a complete bastion for free speech where it's a public town square where everybody's ideas can get out there. So I think it speaks to a lot of what the elite thought in this country, the people leading this country are, that the people in power, you know, going on CNBC, tweeting about this. They don't actually get it. They think that Twitter and Elon, Elon's just trying to get the money here. And that's absolutely not what's going on. Um, and then another one we had here from Axios, another favorite of ours. So they had an article saying that Elon Musk goes into full goblin mode, which <laughs> I don't know where the hell, hell they found that from. But the tweet uh, describing the article was that. The world's richest man, someone who used to be compared to Marvel's Iron Man, is increasingly behaving like a movie supervillain, commanding seemingly unlimited resources with which to finance his mischief making. 
So TB, apparently in America in 2022, free speech is mischief. <laughs> yeah, uh, you got to love it. Uh, also, like, if we're going to talk about, um, I'm not really a big superhero guy, to be honest, but what is Spider-Man, like Marvel, uh, I, I forget which one it is. But anyways, uh, his one of his biggest rivals is that uh, Dr. Oct- Octopus guy. And uh, there's like a, a, a viral clip of Bezos when he has like these robotic arms that look like that villain. So <laughs> oh, yes. if we're going to make any sort of supervillain comparison. Bezos uh, wins it easily. Um, but I, I really love just kind of how the tables have turned here, uh, where for, for years, the left has always kind of sneered at the right saying, oh, you don't like how Twitter is? Just build your own platform. Ha ha ha. Well, look what's happening now. Elon Musk wants to buy this and they are freaking out. So now we can say to them, you don't like it? Go build your own platform. I, I, I just love it. Yeah, no, it's incredible. And and then you've got some just truly insane and, and idiotic takes. So, you know, this is kind of an, an Elon segment woke in the wild. But we got Max Boot here, Washington Post writer, going I am frightened by the impact on society and politics if Elon Musk acquires Twitter. He seems to believe that anything on social media goes. For democracy to survive, we need more content moderation, not less. In TV, there is a great uh, reply to this by one of one of my favorite Bitcoiners, a guy called Nick Carter. And he, he basically said, paraphrasing, that if the democracy needs significant content moderation – Maybe it wasn't a strong democracy in the first place. Yep. That's, that's such a good point. Uh, and it also, like, the, the thing is they're, they're very selective about their content moderation. Um, we're going to talk about this in our next segment, but um, just as a little, like, teaser, if you will, the, the recent uh, Brooklyn subway shooter, he was allowed for years to produce very hateful uh, videos on YouTube and they never took him down, even though that was a clear violation of their policies. Yet they take down a podcast that Trump happened to be on. Um, they'll still, they'll shadow ban uh, a breaking points uh, video clip from their podcast. The examples like that. So it's, it depends on what side you are. If you're on the good side, AKA their side, you can say whatever the hell that you want. I mean, there, there's even leaders of, very, very hateful people, people in the Middle East who hate Jewish people and are declaring war on, on the Jews and, and, the, and Western civilization. And they're allowed to tweet that. They allow the, the Chinese Communist Party to, to tweet. They allow North Korea to tweet. Um, they allow uh, Putin to tweet. You know, the, from, the, uh, from Moscow, they're able to have that state uh, account still still tweet disseminate information but god forbid someone's republican oh you're automatically shut down so you're what we're seeing right now is just the beauty that you know this they're getting they're getting really revealed now to be the to show the hypocrites and just kind of the authoritarians that they are and we've always said this before and people could have downplayed us and said no you're just being a little uh you know you're, you're you're moving into the direction of conspiracy theories there's no evidence of it well, look right now, the curtain has been pulled. We, we are now seeing them for who they are. And you should never want that. And we, I've talked about this before. If you're, if, even if you're on the left and you agree with what Twitter does, there's going to come a time when, his, when things are going to change and it's going to be your views that are going to be the ones that are going to be ostracized and no longer welcome. Do you want to live in a world where there are, there are 
people or things like a Twitter that are going to determine what to censor you or not? Absolutely not. So think about that when you when you really wink and nod at things that are silencing speech that you're not comfortable with. You should always be open to it. It'll make you a better person. And also, if it's something that's horrid and not welcome, it's going to wither and die away. So just, you know, it, it's enough. I, I, I really hope that this is a wake up call for the country and the world that, you know, we've really gotten too far. And this is a great time to reset and, you know, really come to a mutual understanding about where we go from here in a way that's going to benefit everyone. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And TB, you touched on it earlier where Elon, he's not even a conservative. He's just a guy that believes in free speech. And I think Elon's vision for the world, he wants to explore and, and maybe even conquer the stars. And that's something that humanity, we shouldn't hold up as this shining light as, as what we want to accomplish throughout thousands of years from now. We, we like that's this is something that man can um, ascribe to. And I think Elon is his vision also includes a lot of technology where he's thinking about AI and he talks a lot about that and, and the risks of that if we continue uh, moving along with the technology. But what Elon also, I think, realizes with this is if we don't have free speech, none of it is possible because in order to progress uh, in humanity, we need rigorous debate. And if, if you don't have free speech, you're not going to have the pertinent debates where you need them to make really tough decisions in order to move on. I think he sees that and he understands that we've, you know, I don't, I don't know when the exact line would be where humanity in, in the past couple of decades really reached a peak. But I think he probably sees that we we did reach that peak. We're on the downslope now. And kind of like you just said, we, we need to take a step back, understand we're on the downslope, re-engage, reset and, and go back up. Because if we don't do that, all of Elon's plans for Tesla, for SpaceX, for Mars, for everything, for AI, all of those plans are going to be for naught because we're not going to be able to accomplish it. Yeah, that's such a good point. And this is such an important moment in, in our history. That's really going to, you know, I, I, I hate to sound dramatic, but I, I think it's true. Whatever happens with this will set a precedent that will either move us back onto the correct path of free speech and acceptance, or we're going to double down and move further and further into this world of censorship. And frankly, that's not a world that I feel comfortable in uh, or can accept. And, uh, you know, I will continue to speak out on that. And we need more people to, to you know, really, really fight for free speech. That's, that's such like an inherent uh, value of our country and, and actually of, of humanity in general. Any, you know, civil, civilized society, they embrace that value of free speech. We've seen examples when governments censor that and don't uphold that. And what ends up happening? It creates poverty. It, you know, it really creates violence. And, you know, we, we don't want that. So, yeah, hopefully more people are waking up, understanding what's going on. And again, I, I really hope Elon is successful with this and, and gets us back on track. Speaking of the media, um, I've, I did take some delight recently, SB, in hearing the latest report on CNN's Plus unexpected uh, rise and fall. And, I, and actually, I, I can't even say rise. There was no rise, but uh, <laughs> they recently just launched this premium service for CNN. So for context, CNN has already been plummeting in ratings to begin with. So 
why those in charge thought it would be a great idea to then take that small group and then try to, uh, you know, put up some paywalls behind co content. Why they thought that was a good idea, I have no idea why, uh, but they decided to do that. And according to the latest report, they are averaging 10,000 viewers um, or, or less than 10,000 viewers um, a, a day. Is that right, SB? Is, is it a day or, or a month? I, I forget. Yeah. What. Yeah, yeah ten thousand people are using CNN Plus on a daily basis. Two weeks into its existence, I mean, SB, just a couple of weeks from now, uh, we might surpass CNN Plus if we're <laughs> if we continue on this trajectory that we're on. That I mean, that's I say that in jest, but that just shows you like there, there really isn't a market for this. You know, people have been turned off from CNN. I think the only customers of CNN these days are people walking through airports because CNN has ha has had that monopoly on it. So uh, you love to see it because we've been saying this for years. CNN, they are fake news. They do really foment and really rile up anger in this country. I, I think a lot of our societal issues come from media corporations like them that are just drumming up uh, page views, click, you know, clicks and all that by you know, be, being taking these very inflammatory types of stances and takes and focusing on the worst aspects of our country. And people don't want that anymore. And this shows it. So. I, I'm taking so much delight in this. Uh, you know, it couldn't happen to a better group of people. Yeah, this is a fun one. And this is the free market speaking and saying, we just don't want fake news. We talked on the pod before about how woke sports have no audience. Fake news is no audience either. And this it's interesting because CNN, if, if for those unaware, it's part of a company called uh, Turner Networks, which is part of a bigger company called Warner Media. And they were actually just acquired by a new company, Discovery. So Discovery of the Discovery Channel and HGTV and, and those. So this, the Discovery Management came in. The company is now called Warner Bros. Discovery. And there's a, you know, when a new management comes in, there's a lot that gets looked at from what are we doing right and what are we doing wrong. And it's interesting that CNN Plus was rushed out and launched two weeks before this deal closed. And so that's why on top of just being a disastrous number, it's a really interesting topic in the media world right now because everyone's sort of wondering, are they just going to shut this down or not? And the, the word in the street is that they already spent something like $300 million on this TV. Just unbelievable. And the, also the word is that they are looking to drastically cut the spending that was originally planned for this. And if you think about the broader Warner Bros. media or Warner Bros. Discovery Company, this is a company that has promised Wall Street they will attain $3 billion of cost synergies over the next several years. Well, easy place to start with that would be significantly ramp down the spending on CNN+. Plus. So there's speculation that because they share a common owner in HBO, maybe CNN just becomes a tile on HBO Max and you don't actually have to pay for it. We'll see there. But... They spent a lot of money on this. They, they clearly thought this was going to be a lot more popular than it was. So whether they were out of touch or whether they just kind of charged ahead, even thinking that it might not work, I don't know. But, you know, TV, I, I would love to, to know what Chris Wallace is thinking right now. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is a guy that was Fox News Sunday, one of the top, uh, basically one of the top news programs in all of Fox. I mean, it probably doesn't get as many ratings, but... This is a premier Sunday show on the premier news network in terms of ratings, Fox News. He goes to CNN Plus and 
you know, out of the less than 10K people that are watching CNN Plus, maybe a thousand are watching Chris Wallace's new show. So, yeah, I'd, I'd love to know what uh, how he's doing right now. Yeah, I, I heard the story that Chris Wallace is freaking the hell out right now where he's demanding CNN put him on a primetime show and he's like lashing out at his staff. So you love to see it. Um, you know, I, I used to like Chris Wallace a lot when he was on Fox. He he was objective. And I appreciate that because, um, you know, contrary to what people may think, I don't always want to hear conservative things. Uh, I just want to hear the news and I'll make the judgments for myself. And I thought Chris Wallace did a good job with that. But then as time progressed and then, you know, Trump became kind of this like villain figure he realized it'd be profitable uh, and advantageous for him to become a foil to Trump. So we saw him really become an activist during presidential debates. You know, he no yeah. longer was asking fair, objective questions. It was very much targeted. And uh, were, he was trying to get his hit pieces on, on Trump. And that's really when I lost a lot of respect for Chris Wallace. So, you know, he joined the lovely folks at CNN. And uh, sometimes the grass isn't always greener, as he is uh, very sadly learning that right now. Yeah, and, and what's also interesting is there is potentially going to be a shift at CNN. I don't want to get us and the podcast listeners, I don't want us to get too excited about this. But like I said, new ownership and Jeff Zucker, who is known as the guy that really drove CNN in that fake news far left direction, he's gone. Um, the guy who replaced him, he's been an exec producer of a few things. I think he was recently a producer at the at the Colbert show at CBS. So not ideal. But if you do hear from these new executives coming in to the new company, um, and if you also hear from there's a guy, John Malone, he's this legendary investor in the media and cable world. And John Malone came out. He's going to be one of, if not the top shareholder of this new company. He came out several months ago saying that he thinks CNN is is pretty much a disaster. They're engaged in fake news. He didn't use those exact words, but he basically said that he wants CNN to get back to actually employing journalists and covering the news. So, <laughs> so that tells you what you need to know about him. Now, of course, not you know the top shareholder is not necessarily going to get the final say in what CNN does, but. I think if if this new media company is smart, and, and I think if we think about Warner Bros. Discovery in a broader sense, they're trying to take on Disney. They're trying to take on Netflix. So what the smart move here would be is to reorient CNN back to news gathering as opposed to Disney going ultra woke with all what they're doing. And maybe Warner Bros. Discovery can surpass Disney. So I think that would be smart. I do think the CEO of this new company – David Zaslav, he was the CEO at Discovery before. I think he's a pretty smart dude. So maybe he does reorient them. So I think there there is some potential here for CNN to get a little less woke. I'm not promising it. I'm going to follow the story. We'll talk about it on the pod. But there might be a little bit of positivity. And I think certainly CNN Plus averaging this low of viewers has got to color some of the executives' views. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's always, it's always good to, to cover the uh, the fall of CNN. Um, they've definitely deserved it. They've had it coming for quite some time. Um, and, you know, this gives me some some hope in the country where, you know, at the end of the day, money is king and the American money is not moving to CNN. There's not a market for it. And they're learning that very quickly. Um, 
So, yeah, well, as you said, SB, we'll see if they learn and pivot from this and get back to objective news or if they go for broke and, and double down and they just go down with the ship. Um, you know, it's a crazy world that we live in that that reality could could, could certainly be true. Um, but anyways, you know, we want to take a little bit of a, a little add in some levity because, you know, we do have some very uh, important and unfortunately, you know, sad topics to cover. So. We, we purposely strung some some funny uh, and light news along the way. So thank you, CNN, for, for doing that for <laughs> us. Uh, but moving on to a, a very important, actually, topic. And this is something we've spent a lot of time recently touching on. So uh, we had actually our emergency woke cast, our, our first one ever, where we really uh, took down and, and criticized what's, what's going on at Disney and what's going on in schools around the country where they want to uh, teach inappropriate things to children uh, as young as, you know, first grade, kindergarten. Um, so recently there was a, a study that was done by the CDC uh, that the, uh, the media source, The Atlantic, uh, covered. And it was talking about why kids are unhappy. And there's some really interesting uh, analysis and study that was coming from it. But what it shows is that um, you have 31.4% uh, of high school, uh, high school males are feeling persistently sad or hopeless, then that number jumps up to 39.7 for, for black people. Uh, for white people in general, it went up to 44.2. Overall, collectively for all high, high schoolers, 56.5% of high school students are feeling depressed persistently. That is disgusting. There's clearly a plague going on. And I'm, I'm gonna, I have a, a little theory there of why that is, and uh, SBA will, will share his take as well. But before I get there, there's one other metric that stands out above the rest, and that is the, the rate of depression amongst LGBT um, uh, uh, high schoolers, where they 75.7% of them are feeling persistently depressed. So you look at this and you say, you're, you have to think, we are really failing our, the children now. We're failing these high school students. Uh, suicide and depression is at alarmingly high rates right now. So here's here's my take on this. It kind of defies all logic, because if you think about it right now, at this moment in time in society and uh, history, this should be one of the happiest and easiest times for, for people, especially for high schoolers. Think about the access to technology that they have where learning becomes easier when our parents and our grandparents, they had to go into a library and sift through books to find knowledge. Now, within seconds, you can Google something and get an answer. Um, so it's very powerful. Um, they have all this access to luxuries, to comfort, to the quality of life, you know, the, the types of food that they're eating, uh, the access to uh, fitness, the access to entertainment. It has never been better than this moment in time. So you would think people would be happy, but it, it, instead, it's going in reverse. And I have a theory on why that is. As society moves into a more secular place uh, and we really start to disband the idea of a nuclear family and the idea of morals and values and kind of really telling kids that they can be whatever they want, they can do whatever they want, rules don't really exist, uh, do whatever makes you happy, that actually at the end confuses kids even more. When you're not centered by any uh, principles or morals, the world can become a very confusing place. You don't know how to assess certain things. You don't know where you fit in the world and what your, what your stance is. Everything is just always so fluid and 
it causes a lot of confusion. And I think that's where this depression is coming from. Um, so we really have to look at this. You know, you can, you can say that, that my take here is overly judgmental or it's too religiously skewed, whatever your criticism may be, but the numbers bear out. You can't tell me that with over half of, our st- of high school students feeling persistently depressed to the point of having ideations of, of suicide, you can't tell me that's a healthy society. We are clearly doing something that's failing them. And I think that's a very logical explanation of, of why that is. And especially for the LGBT community, I know they're in general under a lot of societal pressure and uh, a lot of condemnation. And obviously we talked about this before, even though that's something that we personally don't agree with or understand, we certainly don't want to live in a world where those people are bullied. They're worthy of life. They're worthy of respect. But if it's that high, then maybe there's something that we're, we're failing our kids and you know, pushing them in that direction, maybe a little bit too soon in life. Maybe that's more of a type of, uh, you know, journey that you go on a little bit later in life when, you're, when your brain has developed and you have more time to consciously decide if that's the right decision for me or, you know, really understand everything that goes into making a decision like that. Um, you know, th- th- these are all just conjectures here, but I think it's, you know, at least it's something productive. At least we're thinking about what we can do better, but Right now, we want to live in this world where everyone gets everything that they want. And you just look at those numbers and you can't help but really feel for the kids. I, 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 those are terrible numbers, SB. Yeah, I, I think you absolutely nailed it on we're a society of instant pleasure, instant gratification all the time. And that's just no way to live. Um, it might feel good to, to start, but it absolutely isn't. Slight augmentation, it is 56.5% females 44% overall, but same general concept. And I think what's also interesting, if you look at this chart, and we'll tweet te- te- this out so you guys can see it in response to the pod, that 44% number, that was 37% in 2019. So huge jump in just the past two years. But that number was 26% in 2004. So we're basically on pace to double this percent feeling hopeless in 15 years, 20, 20 years. So something's off. And I agree with what you said. And I've also got some kind of key points that I, I think are contributing to this. I think a big contributor is like, what are we teaching the kids these days? They go to school, they see it in popular media, the TV shows they're watching, they see it in news, whether they're watching the news themselves or watching with their parents or reading, reading whatever they, they are in maybe a teen Vogue or something. But they're being taught that the U.S. is a pretty terrible place. So they're not only being taught that their ancestors were these crazy racists that were that did slavery and then were dominating other people and have been racist for hundreds of years. They're not only being taught that they're also being taught that the U.S. as currently constructed is an extremely racist place. So I think that can really impact the psyche of people when they sort of grow up here and they're almost saying it's it's a shame that I'm I'm growing up in America because it's not a great place when in reality it should be exactly the opposite so that that's really a bummer and then I th- I do think there's a climate change angle to this so these kids they're they're being taught from a very young age that the the world could end soon and you hear that the AOCs of the world say you know she probably said this 40 years ago now that the world's going to be ending in 10 years. And I forget exactly the phrasing, but it was, so- it was something like 
this is our Vietnam or this is our World War II. Um, she said that to, to the audience as she was making the statement. This is our generation's war, basically. So so imagine that, TB. Not not only are we in kind of a war at this point with, with Ukraine, um, but there's a large chunk of people that are in their teens that believe we are in the equivalent of a war with climate change. And not only that, that half the, the American people or more are, are saying that it doesn't even matter. So, you know, that's just, I think that it really rains down negatively on these kids that feel totally hopeless. Um, you know, I think the economy not doing as well certainly is a factor here. The, you know, since 2004, the top 1%'s gotten richer, the bottom 95% has gotten poorer. And we talk a lot about the Fed and the monetary policy in this podcast. A lot of the, the policy that's going on right now encourages the rich to get rich and the poor to get poorer. And then I, I think finally, you, we've got to talk about women because they're, they're one of the biggest ones here. I mean, you look at this chart, it's 56.5% women versus 31.4% male. So what's the difference for that gap? And I, I want to bring this back to Elon a little bit, actually, on this topic, where technology, I love technology because technology makes our lives easier. To your point earlier, TB, you were talking about how we're in this great position now. It's the, the world's easier than it used to be, and I totally agree with that. Technology can also be harmful. And if we were living in a society that maybe didn't have a lot of the issues that we currently focus on all the time, we could be focusing on really important issues like what's the correct use of technology for teenagers? And we could maybe have, have some philosophical debates and say, the teenagers need iPhones. You know, may, you know, maybe there should be a rule, you know, and I'm just spitballing here, but should there be a rule that you can't have a smartphone until you're 21, something like that? Or should we be limiting smartphone usage? Because what you'll find is that people that use Instagram, they use Twitter. Um, now, now there's the OnlyFans culture where you have these women that are attractive women. They, you know, they go online, they post photos of themselves, and they're just kind of addicted to the likes. And I'm not saying this is only women. This happens with men too. But we're we're in this society now where I think a lot of of teenagers and especially women, they're kind of being judged in their social circles by the amount of likes they can get on Instagram and Facebook and their TikTok videos and whatever else the teens are doing now. And I think that's incredibly unhealthy for them, for their social development, for their mental development, for the relationships they're going to have later in life. So I think we really need to take a step back and say, like, we're failing everyone but we're especially feeling young women here. So yeah. what is the cause of young women being unhappy? And I think a lot, a lot of it, can, it, it you know, kind of does with, with what I'm doing. And then maybe to, a final point there before I, I give it back to you, I think the, you're totally right on instant pleasure, instant, you know, we're, we're always going for that. Sleeping around in high school, it, it may sound good at the time, probably not healthy long-term, especially for women. So I think that's another case of, <laughs> You know, maybe the the fact that they they want to do this so soon and they're being taught in in the teen vogues of the world that when they're reading the stuff when they're 12 about how to pleasure men. I, I, I think this is totally wrong. And I, I think we, we need to have a serious discussion about this before it gets any worse. Yeah, 
I think growing up with a sister has really made me become a little bit more hyper aware of the societal pressures uh, women face, in, in, in not just in this country, in the world in general. Um, a lot of this kind of how they get judged on their looks and the, the constant pressure that they feel like that's not lost to me. And, and even having that experience of having a sister and learning from her, I still know that I don't even understand even a fraction even more about uh, what women face uh, on a day to day basis. So for our female listeners here, um, I, I really do do empathize with you. And I, I you know, the world's a really tough place. And I, and I think that with the way that society is going on, it's teaching girls at a very young age that their self-worth is defined by how many likes they get or mm. how, how many followers that they have on their social media channels. Um, when you're constantly on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, you are seeing people who might be more attractive than you or living uh, funner lives than you or, you know, having a more ideal experience than you may be having. You start to get down yourself and think, what's wrong with me? There, there's, some, there's something that must be wrong. That's actually a big reason why I deleted my Facebook account a couple of years ago. And I have to tell you, it was there was no more liberating feeling when you can kind of like cleanse yourself in that way where you're not surrounded by people arguing about politics or showing off about kind of the flashy lies that they're, they're having. Because in reality, they're people too. They're having their own trials and tribulations behind closed doors. They have their own insecurities, but you never see that on social media. You see this fictitious representation of what life should be, but it's not, it's not really. And it really creates this, a, a lot of pressure on, on kids, but especially, especially females, because as I said, it's unfortunately they get judged superficially. So I feel like social media really heightens that to a level that's, that becomes dangerous. So yeah, it's, it, it's a really sad state of affairs. And, and, you know, I'm not saying you have to really purge yourself off, off of, you know, your digital footprint or anything like that. Of course not. You know, as you said, it's be technology is a beautiful thing. It's one of the biggest ingenuities that humanity has ever created. It's, it's really prolonged life. It's, it's created, it's made the world a better place in many ways, but you also need some balance and we can't allow what we see online to dictate how we feel uh, internally. And, you know, I, I think our kids need to learn more about that because studies like this, it, it really makes your heart really hurt for these kids. You, you know, you, you, you really, you really feel like we, we failed them. So, you know, hopefully this raises awareness and we can kind of get to the bottom of it. Yeah. Well, and, and one thing that I do not think is helping. So again, bringing a little a levity to the pod. Everyone's familiar with Lizzo. We've been talking about her on the pod because she is giving us some funny moments here. But if you haven't seen it, there's a video that she posted on Instagram of her boarding a private jet. The problem with the video is that the outfit that she has basically exposes her entire ass. And if you know who Lizzo is, you will know that that's probably not the best sight because <laughs> she is not at a healthy weight, especially in the trunk. And I thought this was the perfect encapsulation of, of what's wrong with America because we've got just so many themes here where, first of all, she's just this attention-seeking person. It's what we were talking about a minute ago. Put, has 12 million followers on Instagram, puts it out there, gets you know up to, close to a million likes. She wants the attention. We have people being unhealthy. This is probably another contributor to 
a lot of people in the country not being uh, happy, including the young people. I think I've seen stats out there that are 70% of the people in America are either overweight or obese, just insane numbers. So why are we promoting this woman that is extremely unhealthy based on what we can see with her weight? It's an example of, of the rotten culture we have. Why, why are the U.S. weeklies and all of these publications, Pink News, why are they celebrating this? They're, they're writing about the Queen Lizzo boarding this plane and, you know, it's actually very uh, unsanitary what she's doing. So I, I, don't, I don't think she should be doing it. I don't think the private jet should have her bare ass on the seat. And then, and then finally, I think it's an it's a example of uh, hypocrisy because uh, Lizzo in the past has come out against climate change and said that we need to do something about it. Well, why are you hopping on a private jet? If you really, truly cared about climate change and you wanted to fly somewhere, You'd go to uh, American Airlines and, and TB, would she have to buy two or three seats on, <laughs> on an airline? So, yeah, I just I saw this and uh, I texted TB. I said, I got to talk about this on the pod because America in 2022, like that's the picture of it right there. Yeah. SB, I'm just glad that she fri- uh, flies private because I'd hate to be the, the poor person who's sitting in that seat after her. Uh, if she's going to be going uh, <laughs> full on ass out. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, look, she's clearly doing it for attention. It's like it's a big middle finger to her quote unquote haters. Um, but no, like, look, if if you're comfortable being fat and that's and, and you don't, uh, you know, don't determine your self-worth by how many pounds you weigh or, you know, how skinny uh, you are. That, that's fine. Like, it, it, I'm, if, if anything, I think it's great to have, uh, you know, a, a nice vision of yourself and um, you, you think highly of yourself. Like, good, good for you. Like, that, that's, that's a good thing. But when you're, when you're doing stuff like that and you're kind of, like, showing off your body and, you know, it's not even meant to be, like, I know it's sexual in nature, but the intention is not to be sexual. It's more to be inflammatory and just, you know, really get people's attention. I think that's like it's it's a terrible representation of of society, as you said, SB. Like, there's she definitely has younger fans who who really aspire to be her or or like her, uh, that they look at her as a model. And when you do that, it, it really sends the wrong message. And again, going back to our conversation about about girls and the pressures they face, if they're seeing that from someone who's a music icon, and sadly. Our music has also deteriorated these days where she's considered a music icon. Uh, but regardless, um, it really sends a really you know, destructive message to girls that that's what you're supposed to do to get attention or, um, you know, showing off your body like that is what makes you have a sense of self-worth. And I, I don't think there's any, I think that there couldn't be more damaging to, to people to, to do that. So, you know, I, I've really had enough of her, like, She's clearly in it for the attention. Like, if, if you want to be a, a you know a singer and you know have your fun and wear funny like or interesting outfits, like sure, like you know that, that's kind of part of the act. But when you are really basically you know putting yourself out there almost naked, like what are you really doing? Like what sort of societal good are you providing? And SB, I, I think people like her, there there really shouldn't be any place for people who are going to really just downgrade uh, our values and in society as we know it yeah it's too much and you really have to think a little bit more broadly and say why is the media promoting this because 
I saw this all over Twitter and I don't even want to be following Lizzo. So I saw it on Twitter. Then I started getting ads for her new show, which is just a lot more dancers with a lot of junk in the trunk and not being healthy. So yeah, it's really a, a poor reflection on current society. And unfortunately, you know, going back a little bit uh, serious again here, you know, another poor reflection on society, the cities are just unsafe these days. And it, it, it really saddens us because we have, you know, lived in these cities before we do live in these cities and the, you know, a city like New York or, you know, even like Brooklyn, these were once just bastions of industry. They were safe. They had people working toward a common goal. I mean, you'd look at Detroit, for example, as the, the auto capital of the world in its heyday. I mean, these were incredible places where human workers were combining with really great minds and we were putting together our energy to, to just make a better world. And, you know, the, the, the best technology of, of the, you know, 1800s, 1900s were happening in these cities. Yeah. I, you know, I don't mean to, to, to whitewash it and say there wasn't any, any pain and suffering in, in something, but we accomplished a lot. And now you go to these cities and every single day, it seems like there's another, drug bust or an addict or a shooting and that's just what we saw this week with the brooklyn shooter so yeah tb i i know you had you had some uh some thoughts on this but this is this is just a shame to see and and i and i hate that it's almost becoming so commonplace now that people barely even talk about it yeah that story it it was really jarring to me personally and also just to uh, people in this area because it really confirmed everyone's greatest fear about what's going on in the city and about, uh, uh, you know, just tra uh, transportation on, on the subway in general, uh, where the subway system has been incredibly dangerous recently. You hear about all these attacks, but that many times I, I commute into the city all the time for work. And there are certain stops where if you're on an express train, you skip a lot of stops or there's just longer intervals between when they make those stops. And usually that's when you have like the homeless or people who are panhandling for money. They take advantage of those moments and that's when they kind of do their act or they'll go ask, you know, go down the car and ask for money. And there's always been that thought in the back of my, my mind uh, where I think, you know, what's stopping someone from going crazy where they could just shoot this up or attack people with a knife or any sort of weapon. And we're trapped here. There's no way for us to move in between cars, um, especially if you're on express, you got about like a solid, you know, a minute or two before you get uh, the, the train stops. So you're, you're really helpless there. And it's, it's actually, not, it's, it's, it's kind of scary to think about this now in hindsight, but on my way to that, that Yankees game that I went to over the weekend, which uh, I'm not going to talk about. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> oh, why aren't you going to talk about it? Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that another episode. <laughs> not, not enough time today. Uh, but <laughs> on my way to that game, I was on an express train to the Bronx and there was a, a very, aggressive homeless guy who just wouldn't take no for an answer and he's like got up in, in our faces and was just, kept begging for money and becoming like pretty uh you know he didn't touch us but he became very physical and animated in his in his tone and getting and getting very close to us so uh and then that brook the brooklyn shooting happened the the next day and i, and I thought about that i was like you know that could have been us you know we we'd be these you know we'd be sitting ducks out there so yeah, it was it was it was really scary for that to happen, and um, luckily they they got the guy. He's no longer a menace to society. 
but it, it really revealed a lot of ugly truths about our society. So first we talked about, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, I kind of did a little preview at the beginning of the show that, you know, he's, he made a lot of really racist and, and uh, you know, hate, hateful videos on YouTube and he was never censored. Um, he was actually on an FBI watch list as, as recently as 2019. Um, he had been arrested nine times, um, usually m- mostly for petty crime, but one actually was a uh, sexual assault uh, crime that he committed. Um, so that's a pretty serious one. Um, and he's had a long history of believing that white people were you know, embarking on this mass genocide of black people uh, and that we need that they that black people needed to stop white people before it was too it got uh, too late. He said a lot of hateful things about Jewish people. Um, so just like overall a, a really bad person. And what happened was when this shooting happened, the media did a, they really did a, a, a united effort to hide the identity of the shooter. Uh, they did not right away mention that he was a, a black male. Uh, they just kept referring to him as, as a sh- like someone sh- uh, shot a subway. They really they tried to spin it into a gun control problem, even though New York City has one of the strictest gun laws in, in the country. Um, so uh, ironically, it has one of the worst gun violence metrics as well. So obviously shows that doesn't work. But anyways, uh, they, they really united to, to, to block his identity. And there's so many cases where there was a white shooter when his identity is released immediately. I remember a couple of years ago, there was a shooting at a Colorado supermarket. And they within like minutes, they said, oh, it's a white shooter. Actually turned out he was a Muslim guy, but <laughs> they were very quick on the trigger. Uh, no pun intended to, call, to point him out that he was a, a, a white guy. So that, that that's you know that's that's pretty awful stuff but recently the washington free beacon right after this uh, brooklyn shooting they came out with an analysis over the past two years of article major articles in the news that covered uh, you know murders that happened and they were showing the difference between when uh black murderers identities are, are mentioned versus uh white murderers identities so for white murderers uh, according to this analysis their race is mentioned in the first uh, 10 to 20 percent of the article. That's the average for for black murderers. Their race is mostly mentioned at at 70 percent uh, into the article. And and we saw this with a lot of ones like the New York Post. Um, I, was, I was actually surprised by them because they they lean right. But in their coverage of this, they didn't mention the shooter's race until the very last paragraph. So it just shows a complete double standard where, for whatever reason, you know, the media really wants to hide any bad actors when it's from certain minority groups. And then, but they're so quick to uh, point out when it's a, it's a white person. So clearly there's a racial motivation there. Um, and whatever their motivation is, it's not good because you're just playing with people's emotions. You're skewing people's perception of reality and you make it, you make it seem like there's this massive, race problem it's all these white people out in the loose killing everyone when in fact it's you know there, there's crazy people of all races everyone's doing bad stuff and it's you know just because you're a certain race doesn't make you more inclined to violence than another there's just sadly there's just bad people all over the place um and i think a comment like that's very <laughs> i think that's very uh objective and you know accepting i'm not singling out any race or you know anything like that but sadly you know that's lost on our media um, you know, and I, I do have to say, too, like what, what's happening 
with with this with this subway shooting and all that we're we're gonna forget about his name his name his name is frank james and we're gonna forget about his name if you haven't already by next week i guarantee you i guarantee it but we do remember kyle rittenhouse's name even though it turned out that he was uh he was innocent we do know the names of the covington catholic boys when they were just sitting outside of uh in dc and a, a guy just smirked at a Native American protester, and that was seen as some big hate crime. We know their names, but we're going to forget this guy who shot up a subway and caused terror in New York City. And I, I, it really, like, it really disgusts me because having experienced that live, and you know, having friends and loved ones who were in the city that day riding on subways it was a very scary moment. And when you see cover-ups like that. It just it just makes sure that things like this continue happening, that we never address the problem, that we're so focused on these woke enterprises that we overlook, you know, the real issues that are causing these problems. And it, it, that really frustrates me. So, um, yeah, SB, thanks for, for the time on this, but uh, I'm curious to hear your take. Yeah. So, you yeah, you eloquated what the media's angle is they're they're all about the narrative and they're not actually about fixing the problems which is it's so sad because we have this amazing country or we had it and yet we can't get to the real problem so you know it goes back to elon with free speech let's talk about these and you said it so any person of any race can commit a crime any person of any race can be racist or sexist it's not just one race but yet the media really loves to hit on white people do in crimes and so there's a motivation for that that they they have they've put out there and they want that and it it's funny you mentioned kyle rittenhouse there's also that kenosha i think wisconsin the uh the, the quote-unquote car that ran into the parade <laughs> you know that was that was how the media phrased it rather than the um you know a guy or a black guy ramming his car into a parade so I don't remember that guy's name. I don't remember the guys. I didn't even remember Tim Ryan, Frank James or whatever it was. Yeah. So I, I didn't even remember that name until you brought it up. And you really have, have got to say this is just on this is incorrect media coverage. And, and this brings me to the when there was all those uh, beatings of Asian people in New York. They there was they got one white guy who, who committed a crime. And, and that was a big story. As soon as the video started coming out and it was all non, it was a lot of non-white people doing it, that story dropped. And I haven't heard about that story in months. Now, I'm not sure if it's still happening or not, but e even if we take it beyond the race angle, I remember that Asian story about getting, getting beat up. That was attributed to Trump voters. That was saying that Trump was fomenting this anti-Asian, anti-immigrant feeling because he called the COVID virus the China virus, even though it came from China. And so whenever they could have that angle, that narrative, they did it. As soon as they couldn't, they didn't. So, yeah, it's really frustrating when we, we aren't sol solving these problems. Let's solve the homeless problem. Let's solve the drug problem in New York City. I mean, you said it. I mean, everyone's, everyone's experienced the homeless problem in New York City, whether you live there or whether you go there for a day. So we need to be having frank conversations about this. We're not having those. And, and that's why we need to do the pod. But that's why we need to make sure that, you know, the media is not getting the only the, the only word on here. Like we need free speech or else we're never going to solve these problems. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the Wisconsin uh, attack as well, because 
that was disgusting. That was at a Christmas Day parade. And the guy literally ran over a bunch of children and families that were there. And it was, I, I think like uh, six people died at least. I think more, maybe even more than that. It was a lot. And it, more, certainly more than Kyle Rittenhouse killed in self-defense. So, and we know Kyle Rittenhouse's name, but that Wisconsin guy, I forget his name now because that just shows how much the media covered it up. Uh, it, it, it's it's really disgusting like let's cover it equally like let's you know regardless of whoever commits a crime you provide the facts of the case there should be no spin you should be informing the people about this so that way they can stay informed and safe that's what should be happening during tragedies like this but instead for whatever reason they want to push these narratives that just further divide us uh so it you know it, it's a really disgusting reflection but you know, it's just yet another example of kind of, you know, what the media does to society. Uh, and it, it's it's quite sad. It's, it's, it's really disappointing. Um, but anyways, um, we're going to jump back into some some levity here. And this is actually uh, we've teased this for the past couple of episodes, but we've had so much content to, to get through. So we never had time to do it. We, we had to keep hunting it uh, down the road. But I'm really happy that we can finally cover it today, SB. But our new segment is what we're calling uh, Weekly Antidotes. So nice little fun play on, on our podcast name. But this is where we want to share with you, the listeners, uh, some of the, the things that we are enjoying on the side, whether that be movies, shows, uh, sports, hobbies, etc., um, that help us get through uh, these crazy uh, weeks in the woke world. So uh, I'll go, I'll share uh, mine first. And SB, I know you're excited to share yours. But uh, very recently, I discovered the sport of uh, Formula One. So for those who aren't familiar with Formula One or F1, as it's, uh, as it's known, uh, it's a it's kind of like this luxury version of NASCAR. Um, it's, it's huge in Europe. Um, but this has, you know, this sport's been around for decades. But recently, um, Netflix came out with a, a, a really outstanding documentary series on it. So they cover each season of the show. So there's four seasons out now. Um, and they really just cover everything that's involved with the sport in terms of like how many teams there are, the funding that goes into it the politics behind the scenes, you know, each team, they have a model that they need to follow according to the regulations, but uh, they do pump in a lot of money into these cars. So when you have, as an example, a more established brand like a Mercedes, they have more resources to build the best car versus a smaller, um, a, a smaller company uh, that's, that's dipping their toes into F1. So um, it's really interesting when you see the dynamic between very skilled drivers and also the, the technical limitations of their cars. And it causes, it causes a lot of drama and politics behind the scenes. But uh, I, yeah, I started, well, I, I crushed all four seasons of, of it. It was phenomenal on Netflix, but I, I watched it in about like the past two weeks. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's a great watch, but now that I'm caught up, now I'm watching F1 live and, th- and there's a race next week in, in Italy. Um, so about every two weeks they do a race. So we're still early in, in the new season uh, of, of 2022, uh, but it, it's it's so fun to watch. And I, I never thought, uh, I never considered myself a racing guy. I've never watched NASCAR, to be honest with you. But I think, you know, watching the show, learning the players, like the drivers' personalities and, and all that, and knowing like the drama and the money that's involved, it really makes for entertaining TV because you understand that um, if, depending on where a driver finishes, 
that could mean that that could be the difference of millions of dollars that goes back to the team that goes back to not just the driver, but also the pit crew, the, all the guys are involved, the, the people who are analyzing all the, the data on how the car is performing, if they need to change the tires, if there's a, a malfunction with the car and they need to box to do a quick repair, uh, it goes back into the pool that the, that the uh, team can use to build an even better car for the next season. So uh, there's a lot of high stakes in it. The drivers are pretty young. They're usually like in their low to mid 20s. Uh, they're making a ton of money. One of the drivers for Mercedes, Lewis Hamilton, he's one of the highest paid athletes in the world. And that's pretty amazing because just a few weeks ago, I didn't even know about F1 and knowing like how much of a global reach it has. It's really, it's really exciting. And actually there's a, for the first time ever in F1 history, uh, I believe it's on May 8th. So, you know, just a month from now, they're doing the first race in Miami. So they're going to be driving through Miami, which is which is awesome. Like a lot of these racetracks, they're either outside of cities or within cities. So like, for example, Monaco, they're driving through literally the streets of Monaco. So it's like very tight turns. People can watch the race from their apartments. So that's really cool. Um, they also race in Austin, Texas. Uh, there's a there's a team actually there's an American team called Haas. Um, so they have a they host a race in Austin. So. I'm I'm really glad I found this sport because it's a nice little break from you know the classic baseball, uh, you know basketball, hockey, football monotony. You know it's, it's a brand new one that I'm really excited about. I definitely encourage you to watch the the documentary series on Netflix. It's it's, it's fantastic TV. Even if you don't really care for the sport, it's 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 really well produced. Uh, but yeah, SB, I, I was telling you about this. You know, I definitely you know it, I definitely encourage you to check it out yourself. But yeah, I'm having a ton of fun with uh, with F1. Love it. And yeah, I've heard this from a, a lot of people where they didn't even know the sport before they pop on the series immediately hooked and now they're going and watching the sport. So I'm definitely thinking that this this will not only be a Formula One uh, deal. And I, I think I saw news maybe a couple months back that golf and tennis were considering similar documentary series for their sports to get more people interested. So yeah, I think if, if this is a formula where really showing the, the inside of the sport, the behind the scenes drama, then, you know, a lot of sports should do this. And, and as fans of sports, which, which mean you are, I mean, we're, we're fans of sports as long as they're not woke sports. Um, we, we, we would love that. So yeah, that was a great kickoff to the weekly antidotes. And the one I'm going with this week is the most recent red hot chili peppers album. So if you guys know me, they're my favorite band of all time and Californication, my favorite album of all time. So I love these guys. And they came out. It was their first album in about six years. And it's really good. So start off the bat, big fan of it. I've been jamming on it and listened to it several times by now. So I think I have a good read on where I can rank it historically. And part of the reason um, it's good is there's two variables that have changed with them. Um, to recent albums. So the first one is that their guitar player who was originally with the band and he's been on their albums, the the best ones ever, including Californication, Blood, Sex, Sugar, Magic. He was off the most recent couple albums. And that was because, you know, he's kind of a peculiar guy. He's an artist. He's a creative. So sometimes he's with the Chili's and sometimes he's off doing his own thing. And he's he's he has his own music. So I think the, the guy's name is John Fruscante, if I'm pronouncing it right. So he joined the band back again for this most recent album. So they have had a different guitarist. He's been 
recording with them, touring with them, but he uh, he did step aside uh, for for the for the original guy to come back. And this guy, he he just invigorates them. He gives them a really great sound that I think they were missing for the last couple albums. So, and and especially for this guy, the Californication is the one I one I love the most. And that was after this this guitarist. He almost died because of heroin use. So he was wasn't with the band for several years. And I think the creative energy that he had from not being with the band led to an incredible album, Californication. And I think maybe we're seeing the same thing here where he's been away from the band for so long that once they finally get together again, they can kind of create these new sounds that maybe they've all been thinking about for several years. So that's one reason why. And then another reason why I wouldn't put it as important, but they're working with producer Rick Rubin, who they've been wor- who they've worked with for a lot of albums in the past, but didn't work with with their most recent album. And Rick Rubin, he you know, he's known for being this mega producer. He works with a ton of different uh, artists, works with a lot of hip hop artists, actually, too. So I think he's been instrumental in some of Kanye's uh, recordings. And he just kind of fine tunes the Chili's, I think, a little bit better than um, what they would get if they weren't using him. So you put those two guys together, you you put six years together, and I think they just came up with the great album. Um, I certainly have to still rank Californication 1 and Blood, Sex, Sugar, Magic 2. But I, I think I may be putting this album number three. I don't know yet. Um, I, I do have, by the way, ranked number three now ahead of Stadium Arcadium. And I know that might be a little bit unpopular, but I do love, by the way. But yeah, I, I'm confidently putting this up uh, above Stadium Arcadium. Potentially beats, by the way. It's got, it's got some, some hard rock to it. It's got some classic Chili's funk. It's got a little bit of that Californication type vibe. So I think it combines a lot of their their fun sounds, um, including some some vibes from Stadium Arcadium and really puts it in, into one album. So, you know, I've already got some favorite songs. I'm not really skipping any when I'm listening to it. And um, uh, yeah, I've, I've got I've got some great music for the summer now. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, for our listeners, um uh, these guys, uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, have a really special place in our hearts. Uh, we used to jam out to them all the time in college. Uh, SB, I think we got quite a few noise complaints, actually, for, <laughs> for, for blasting them too loud. Uh, but no, I definitely got to check, check that album out yet. I haven't done it yet, but, uh, you know, big, big fan of them. I agree. Californication, that's probably one of the best rock albums ever made, in my opinion. Uh, that is just like a staple of like the 90s kind of vibe uh just like like fun like they have a lot of like upbeat songs that kind of you can jam out to but other ones like very chill you can kind of like play as you're driving driving around on a nice day so yeah the, the chilies they, they're always a, a frequent guest on my playlist yeah and that's what i liked about this album was that it it wasn't really one vibe it was a lot of different kind of songs which i think are great because you know everyone's gonna have their own one that they like their own one that um Maybe they will skip over a bit, but it's just the the variety is nice. And yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I encourage the listeners to keep on listening to the pod. But when you do want to change up your listening and audio experience to some music, I definitely recommend putting the the chilies on. So, yeah. So with with that TB, I, I think we uh, we crushed another episode, another episode down. Um, anything else you got before we uh, sign off until next time? 
No, I mean, I, I, I have to say, like, obviously, I'm biased, but uh, I really enjoyed this one in particular. I felt like um, we touched on really important topics, and hopefully you, the listeners, felt that way as well. Um, you know, we always ask for feedback, but, you know, now with our new segment of Weekly Antidotes, please share your own with us. You know, if you're reading an interesting book or uh, w- w- uh, read an interesting article, please share that with us. We'd be happy to to look into it and even share that with our listeners on one of our shows. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we started this one finally. Um, but yeah, if, if, again, if you, if you really like what you you're hearing here, please engage with us on Twitter. Um, feel free to give us a five-star review on Apple podcasts. I know, uh, I know that, uh, people on the podcast always ask for that, but it really does help us. I, I can't emphasize that enough. So, if you, if you can just take a second to do so, if, if you do like the show, it, it would really mean the world to us. We'd be very appreciative. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm really excited for, for, to get back into the swing of things. Uh, we'll, we'll churn out another episode within the next couple of days here. But uh, SB, uh, this, this was a lot of fun. Any, uh, any last words from you? Yeah, the only thing I've got is I'm really excited to see what happens with Twitter and Elon because there's, there's a lot of back and forth right now. Uh, the Twitter board's been meeting. There's a lot of headlines out there. And so I think probably by by next episode, we'll have an update in this whole Elon saga. So, you know, we'll take a brief reprieve over the weekend. And then once the, the markets open up again after Easter tomorrow, um, you know, it, it could be a hostile takeover and in, in, uh, trying to combat that situation. So, you know, we, we've seen this traumatized in movies and the 80s and 90s and we, we could be seeing a lot of drama in real life here so i'm uh, i'm very excited to see what happens there and and we'll uh we'll of course be covering it on the pod all right well i think i think we're uh we're all set here so uh until next time uh be uh be all right in making sure you you survive this woke world and we'll talk to you guys soon cheers everyone